0: Will André-Louis' portrayal of Scaramouche save the show? Raphael Sabatini, today on the Classic Tales Podcast. Welcome to the Classic Tales Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you to all of our financial supporters. With us giving away so much free material... During this time of the pandemic, we need your help more than ever. Thank you so much for stepping up and helping to keep us going strong. And in case you haven't already, feel free to take advantage of our free titles. During the time of the pandemic, we have a fair amount of stuff that we are giving away for free, geared for all ages from several genres. Please click on over to our Home From School free section and enjoy. There's a link to the free material in the description for this week's episode. App users can hear a poem from John Donne, an Anglican cleric who wrote secular as well as religious poetry. And a big thank you to Annie from the Join Us in France podcast, who helped with the pronunciations of the French names and phrases for this week's episode. If you're interested in France at all, you should check out her show, It's Fantastic. Now for our personal moment. We had Goldie's final musical dance theater recital today. She's been rehearsing via Zoom for months. Uh, In the COVID world, it was really strange to go to the recital hall. There were no physical tickets. You had to verify on your phone that you had purchased tickets. And you go straight to your seats. There's no programs. That's also digital. There's a QR code you had to scan. They only sold 50% of the seats... And so they grouped families together and socially distanced them from each other. So the house was only partially full. Not even all of the parents could go to it. Everybody was supposed to wear masks, of course. And for the show itself, they only did half of the show. So they only had half of the kids backstage close together at a time. And it was more of a live taping. They taped using several different cameras, the kids on stage. And then later they would tape the other half of them they going to edit it all together to be a cohesive show later on there was no gathering in the lobby afterwards and congratulating your kid as they were done you're supposed to go outside and congregate as a family again socially distanced it was a very different experience very different experience than what we're normally used to but so proud of Goldie she did a wonderful wonderful job so that's our COVID experience for this week it's a different world we're living in now So here's the story so far. André Louis, a privileged lawyer from Gavriac, is on a mission to speak out for the downtrodden. After speaking out in Rennes and later in Nantes, he is on the run from the law who wish to take him to task for inciting rebellion. He runs across some traveling players and is eventually blackmailed to play the part of Scaramouche in tonight's show. And now, Scaramouche. Part 5 of 12 by Raphael Sabatini Chapter 5 Enter Scaramouche Dressed in the close-fitting suit of a bygone age, all black from flat velvet cap to rosetted shoes, his face whitened, and a slight upcurled moustache glued to his upper lip a small sword at his side and a guitar slung behind him scaramouche surveyed himself in a mirror and was disposed to be sardonic which was the proper mood for the part he reflected that his life which until lately had been of a stagnant contemplative quality had suddenly become excessively active in the course of one week he had been lawyer mob-orator, outlaw, property-man, and finally buffoon. Last Wednesday he had been engaged in moving an audience of Rennes to anger. On this Wednesday he was to move an audience of Guichin to mirth. Then he had been concerned to draw tears. Today it was his business to provoke laughter. There was a difference, and yet there was a parallel. Then as now he had been a comedian. And the part that he had played then was, when he came to think of it, akin to the part he was to play this evening. For what had he been at Rennes but a sort of scaramouche, the little skirmisher, the astute intriguer, spattering the seed of trouble with a sly hand. The only difference lay in the fact that to-day he went forth under the name that properly described his type, whereas last week He had been disguised as a respectable young provincial attorney. He bowed to his reflection in the mirror. Buffoon, he apostrophized it. At last you have found yourself. At last you have come into your heritage. You should be a great success. Hearing his new name called out by Monsieur Binet, he went below to find the company assembled and waiting in the entrance corridor of the inn. He was, of course, an object of great interest to all the company. Most critically was he conned by M. Binet and Mademoiselle, by the former with gravely searching eyes, by the latter with a curl of scornful lip. You'll do, Monsieur Binet commended his make-up. At least you look the part. Unfortunately, men are not always what they look, said Clement acidly. "'That is a truth that does not at present apply to me,' said André-Louis, "'for it is the first time in my life that I look what I am.' Mademoiselle curled her lip a little further, and turned her shoulder to him. But the others thought him very witty, probably because he was obscure. Columbine encouraged him with a friendly smile that displayed her large white teeth, and Monsieur Binet swore yet once again— that he would be a great success, since he threw himself with such spirit into the undertaking. Then, in a voice that for the moment he appeared to have borrowed from the roaring captain, M. Binet marshaled them for the short parade across to the market-hall. The new Scaramouche fell into place beside Rodemont. The old one, hobbling on a crutch, had departed an hour ago to take the place of doorkeeper, vacated of necessity by André-Louis, so that the exchange between those two was a complete one. Headed by Polichinelle, banging his great drum, and Pierrot blowing his trumpet, they set out, and were duly passed in review by the ragamuffins drawn up in files to enjoy so much of the spectacle as was to be obtained for nothing. Ten minutes later the three knocks sounded, and the curtains were drawn aside to reveal a battered set that was partly garden, partly forest, in which Climène feverishly looked for the coming of Léandre. In the wings stood the beautiful, melancholy lover, awaiting his cue, and immediately behind him the unfledged Scaramouche, who was anon to follow him. André-Louis was assailed with nausea in that dread moment, He attempted to take a lightning mental review of the first act of this scenario, of which he was himself the author-in-chief, but found his mind a complete blank. With the perspiration starting from his skin, he stepped back to the wall, where above a dim lantern was pasted a sheet bearing the brief outline of the piece. He was still studying it, when his arm was clutched and he was pulled violently toward the wings. He had a glimpse of Pantaloon's grotesque face, its eyes blazing, and he caught a raucous growl. Clemen has spoken your cue three times already. Before he realized it, he had been bundled onto the stage and stood there foolishly, blinking in the glare of the footlights with their tin reflectors. So utterly foolish and bewildered did he look, that volley upon volley of laughter welcomed him from the audience, which this evening packed the hall from end to end. Trembling a little, his bewilderment at first increasing, he stood there to receive that rolling tribute to his absurdity. Climène was eyeing him with expectant mockery, savouring in advance his humiliation. Léandre regarded him in consternation, whilst, behind the scenes, M. Binet was dancing in fury. "'Name of a name!' he groaned to the rather scared members of the company assembled there. What will happen when they discover that he isn't acting? But they never did discover it. Scaramouche's bewildered paralysis lasted but a few seconds. He realized that he was being laughed at, and remembered that his Scaramouche was a creature to be laughed with and not at. He must save the situation, twist it to his own advantage as best he could. And now his real bewilderment and terror were succeeded, by acted bewilderment and terror, far more marked, but not quite so funny. He contrived to make it clearly appear that his terror was of someone off the stage. He took cover behind a painted shrub, and thence, the laughter at last beginning to subside, he addressed himself to Climène and Léandre. "'Forgive me, beautiful lady, if the abrupt manner of my entrance startled you. The truth is, that I have never been the same since that last affair of mine with Almaviva. My heart is not what it used to be. Down there at the end of the lane, I came face to face with an elderly gentleman, carrying a heavy cudgel, and a horrible thought entered my mind that it might be your father, and that our little stratagem to get you safely married might already have been betrayed to him. I think it was the cudgel put such a notion in my head. Not that I am afraid. I am not really afraid of anything. But I could not help reflecting that, if it should really have been your father, and he had broken my head with his cudgel, your hopes would have perished with me. For without me, what should you have done, my poor children? A ripple of laughter from the audience had been steadily enheartening him and helping him to recover his natural impudence. It was clear they found him comical. They were to find him far more comical than ever he had intended, and this was largely due to a fortuitous circumstance upon which he had insufficiently reckoned. The fear of recognition by someone from Gavriac or Rennes had been strong upon him. His face was sufficiently made up to baffle recognition, but there remained his voice. To dissemble this, he had availed himself of the fact that Figaro was a Spaniard. He had known a Spaniard at Louis-le-Grand, who spoke a fluent but most extraordinary French, with a grotesque excess of sibilant sounds. It was an accent that he had often imitated, as youths will imitate characteristics that excite their mirth. Opportunely, he had bethought him of that Spanish student, and it was upon his speech that to-night he modelled his own. The audience of Guichard found it as laughable on his lips as he and his fellows had found it formerly on the lips of that derided Spaniard. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, Binet, listening to that glib impromptu, of which the scenario gave no indication, had recovered from his fears. "'Dieu de Dieu,' he whispered, grinning, "'did he do it then on purpose?' It seemed to him impossible that a man who had been so terror-stricken as he had fancied Andre louis could have recovered his wits so quickly and completely. Yet the doubt remained. To resolve it, after the curtain had fallen upon the first act, that had gone with a verve unrivaled until this hour in the annals of the company, borne almost entirely upon the slim shoulders of the new Scaramouche, Monsieur Binet bluntly questioned him. They were standing in the space that did duty as green-room, the company all assembled there, "'showering congratulations upon their new recruit. "'Scaramouche, a little exalted at the moment by his success, "'however trivial he might consider it to-morrow, "'took then a full revenge upon Climène "'for the malicious satisfaction "'with which she had regarded his momentary blank terror. "'I do not wonder that you ask,' said he. "'Faith, I should have warned you "'that I intended to do my best from the start "'to put the audience in a good humour with me.' Mademoiselle very nearly ruined everything by refusing to reflect any of my terror. She was not even startled. Another time, Mademoiselle, I shall give you full warning of my every intention. She crimsoned under her grease-paint. But before she could find an answer of sufficient venom, her father was rating her soundly for her stupidity, the more soundly because himself he had been deceived by Scaramouche's supreme acting. Scaramouche's success in the first act was more than confirmed as the performance proceeded. Completely master of himself by now, and stimulated as only success can stimulate, he warmed to his work. Impudent, alert, sly, graceful, he incarnated the very ideal of Scaramouche, and he helped out his own native wit by many a remembered line from Beaumarchais, thereby persuading the better informed among the audience that here indeed was something of the real Figaro, and bringing them, as it were, into touch with the great world of the capital. When at last the curtain fell for the last time, it was Scaramouche who shared with Climen the honours of the evening, his name that was coupled with hers, in the calls that summoned them before the curtains. As they stepped back, and the curtains screened them again from the departing audience, Monsieur Binet approached them, "'rubbing his fat hands softly together. "'This runegate young lawyer, "'whom chance had blown into his company, "'had evidently been sent by fate "'to make his fortune for him. "'The sudden success at Guichard, "'hitherto unrivaled, "'should be repeated and augmented elsewhere. "'There would be no more sleeping under hedges "'and tightening of belts. "'Adversity was behind him. "'He placed a hand upon Scaramouche's shoulder,' and surveyed him with a smile whose oiliness not even his red paint and colossal false nose could dissemble. "'And what have you to say to me now?' he asked him. "'Was I wrong when I assured you that you would succeed? "'Do you think I have followed my fortunes in the theatre for a lifetime, "'without knowing a born actor when I see one? "'You are my discovery, Scaramouche. "'I have discovered you to yourself.' I have set your feet upon the road to fame and fortune. I await your thanks. Scaramouche laughed at him, and his laugh was not altogether pleasant. Always, pantaloon, said he. The great countenance became overcast. I see that you do not yet forgive me the little stratagem by which I forced you to do justice to yourself, ungrateful dog as if I could have had any purpose but to make you, and I have done so. Continue as you have begun, and you will end in Paris. You may yet tread the stage of the Comédie Française, the rival of Talma, Fleury, and Dugazon. When that happens to you, perhaps you will feel the gratitude that is due to old Binet, for you will owe it all to this soft-hearted old fool.' "'If you were as good an actor on the stage as you are in private,' said Scaramouche, "'you would yourself have won to the Comédie-Française long since. "'But I bear no rancour, Monsieur Binet.' "'He laughed and put out his hand. "'Binet fell upon it and wrung it heartily. "'That at least is something,' he declared. "'My boy, I have great plans for you, for us. "'Tomorrow we go to More.' There is a fair there to the end of this week. Then on Monday we take our chances at Pipriac, and after that we must consider. It may be that I am about to realise the dream of my life. There must have been upwards of fifteen louis taken tonight. Where the devil is that rascal Cordemay? Cordemais was the name of the original Scaramouche, who had so unfortunately twisted his ankle. That Binet should refer to him by his secular designation was a sign that in the Binet Company, at least, he had fallen for ever from the lofty eminence of Scaramouche. "'Let us go and find him, and then we'll away to the inn and crack a bottle of the best burgundy, perhaps two bottles.' But Cor de May was not readily to be found. None of the company had seen him since the close of the performance. Monsieur Binet went round to the entrance, Cordemay was not there. At first he was annoyed. Then, as he continued in vain to bawl the fellow's name, he began to grow uneasy. Lastly, when Polichinelle, who was with them, discovered Cordemay's crutch standing discarded behind the door, Monsieur Binet became alarmed. A dreadful suspicion entered his mind. He grew visibly pale under his paint. But this evening he couldn't walk without the crutch, he exclaimed. How then does he come to leave it there and take himself off? Perhaps he has gone on to the inn, suggested someone. But he couldn't walk without his crutch, Monsieur Binet insisted. Nevertheless, since clearly he was not anywhere about the market hall, to the inn they all trooped, and deafened the landlady with their inquiries. Oh, yes, Monsieur Cordemay came in some time ago. Where is he now? He went away again at once. He just came for his bag. For his bag? Binet was on the point of an apoplexy. How long ago was that? She glanced at the timepiece on the overmantel. It would be about half an hour ago. It was a few minutes before the Rennes diligence passed through. The Rennes diligence? Monsieur Binet was almost inarticulate. Could he. could he walk? he asked, on a note of terrible anxiety. "'Walk? He ran like a hare when he left the inn. I thought myself that his agility was suspicious, seeing how lame he had been since he fell downstairs yesterday. Is anything wrong?' Monsieur Binet had collapsed into a chair. He took his head in his hands and groaned. "'The scoundrel was shamming all the time!' exclaimed Clemen. His fall downstairs was a trick. He was playing for this. He has swindled us. Fifteen louis at least, perhaps sixteen, said Monsieur Binet. Oh, the heartless blackguard! To swindle me, who have been as a father to him, and to swindle me in such a moment! From the ranks of the silent, awe-stricken company, "'each member of which was wondering "'by how much of the loss his own meagre pay would be mulcted. "'There came a splutter of laughter. Monsieur Benet glared with blood-injected eyes. "'Who laughs?' he roared. "'What heartless wretch has the audacity to laugh at my misfortune?' "'André Louis, still in the sable glories of Scaramouche, "'stood forward. "'He was laughing still.' It is you, is it? You may laugh on another note, my friend, if I choose a way to recoup myself that I know of. Dullard! Scaramouche scorned him. Rabbit brained elephant! What if Cordemay has gone with fifteen louis? Hasn't he left you something worth twenty times as much? Monsieur Binet gaped, uncomprehending. You are between two wines, I think. You've been drinking! he concluded. So I have, at the Fountain of Thalia. Oh, don't you see? Don't you see the treasure that Cordomay has left behind him? What has he left? A unique idea for the groundwork of a scenario. It unfolds itself all before me. I'll borrow part of the title from Moliere. We'll call it Le Fourberie de Scaramouche. And if we don't leave the audiences of Maurer and Pipriac with sides aching from laughter— I'll play the dullard pantaloon in future. Polichinelle smacked fist into palm. Superb, he said fiercely. To cull fortune from misfortune, to turn loss into profit, that is to have genius. Scaramouche made a leg. Polichinelle, you are a fellow after my own heart. I love a man who can discern my merit. If pantaloon had half your wit... We should have burgundy tonight, in spite of the flight of Cordemay. Burgundy! roared Monsieur Binet, and before he could get farther, Harlequin had clapped his hands together. That is the spirit, Monsieur Binet. You heard him, landlady. He called for burgundy. I called for nothing of the kind. But you heard him, dear Madame. We all heard him. The others made chorus, whilst Scaramouche smiled at him and patted his shoulder. Up, man! A little courage, did you not say that fortune awaits us, and have we not now the wherewithal to constrain fortune, Burgundy, then to, to toast les fourberies de Scaramouche. And Monsieur Binet, who was not blind to the force of the idea, yielded, took courage, and got drunk with the rest. Chapter Six, Clemen. Diligent search among the many scenarios of the improvisers, which have survived their day, has failed to bring to light the scenario of Les Fourberies de Scaramouche, upon which we are told the fortunes of the Binet troupe came to be soundly established. They played it for the first time at Mores in the following week, with Andre Louis, who was known by now as Scaramouche to all the company, and to the public alike, in the title role. If he had acquitted himself well as Figaro Scaramouche, he excelled himself in the new piece, the scenario of which would appear to be very much the better of the two. After Mora came Pipriac, where four performances were given, two of each of the scenarios that now formed the backbone of the Binet repertoire. In both, Scaramouche, who was beginning to find himself, materially improved his performances. So smoothly now did the two pieces run, that Scaramouche actually suggested to Binet that after Fougere, which they were to visit in the following week, they should tempt fortune in a real theatre in the important town of Redon. The notion terrified Binet at first, but coming to think of it, and his ambition being fanned by André Louis, he ended by allowing himself to succumb to the temptation. It seemed to André-Louis in those days that he had found his real métier, and not only was he beginning to like it, but actually to look forward to a career as actor-author that might indeed lead him in the end to that mecca of all comedians, the Comédie Française. And there were other possibilities. From the writing of skeleton scenarios for improvisers, he might presently pass to writing plays of dialogue, "'plays, in the proper sense of the word, "'after the manner of Chenier, Eglantine, and Beaumarchais. "'The fact that he had dreamed such dreams "'shows us how very kindly he had taken to the profession "'into which Chance and Monsieur Binet between them "'had conspired to thrust him. "'That he had real talent both as author and as actor, "'I do not doubt, and I am persuaded that, "'had things fallen out differently,' he would have won for himself a lasting place among French dramatists, and thus fully have realised that dream of his. Now, dream though it was, he did not neglect the practical side of it. You realise, he told Monsieur Binet, that I have it in my power to make your fortune for you. He and Binet were sitting alone together in the parlour of the inn at Pipriac, drinking a very excellent bottle of Volney. It was on the night after the fourth and last performance there of Les Fourberies. The business at Pipriac had been as excellent as in More and Guichon. You will have gathered this from the fact that they drank Volnay. I will concede it, my dear Scaramouche, so that I may hear the sequel. I am disposed to exercise this power if the inducement is sufficient. You will realize that for fifteen livres a month, a man does not sell such exceptional gifts as mine. There is an alternative, said Monsieur Binet, darkly. There is no alternative, don't be a fool, Binet. Binet sat up as if he had been prodded. Members of his company did not take this tone of direct rebuke with him. Anyway, I make you a present of it, Scaramouche pursued, airily. "'Exercise it, if you please. "'Step outside and inform the police "'that they can lay hands on one André-Louis Moreau. "'But that will be the end of your fine dreams "'of going to Rodin, "'and for the first time in your life "'playing in a real theatre. "'Without me, you can't do it, and you know it. "'And I am not going to Rodin or anywhere else. "'In fact, I am not even going to Fougueret "'until we have an equitable arrangement.' "'But what heat?' complained Binet. "'And all for what? "'Why must you assume that I have the soul of a usurer? "'When our little arrangement was made, I had no idea, how could I, "'that you would prove as valuable to me as you are. "'You had but to remind me, my dear Scaramouche, "'I am a just man, and from to-day you shall have thirty livres a month. "'See, I double it at once. I am a generous man.' but you are not ambitious. Now listen to me a moment. And he proceeded to unfold a scheme that filled Binet with a paralyzing terror. After Roudon, Nantes, he said. Nantes and the Théâtre Fedou. Monsieur Binet choked in the act of drinking. The Théâtre Fédoux was a sort of provincial Comédie Française, the great Fleury had played there to an audience as critical as any in France. The very thought of Redon, cherished as it had come to be by Monsieur Binet, gave him at moments a cramp in the stomach, so dangerously ambitious did it seem to him. And Redan was a puppet-show, by comparison with Nantes. Yet this raw lad, whom he had picked up by chance three weeks ago, and who in that time had blossomed from a country attorney— into author and actor, could talk of Nantes and the Théâtre Fédou without changing colour. But why not Paris and the Comédie Française? wondered Monsieur Benet with sarcasm, when at last he had got his breath. That may come later, says Impudence. Eh? You've been drinking, my friend. But André Louis detailed the plan that had been forming in his mind. Fougueret should be a training ground for Roudon, and Roudon should be a training ground for Nantes. They would stay in Roudon as long as Roudon would pay adequately to come and see them, working hard to perfect themselves the while. They would add three or four new players of talent to the company. We would write three or four fresh scenarios, and these should be tested and perfected until the troupe was in possession of at least half a dozen plays upon which they could depend.' they would lay out a portion of their profits on better dresses and better scenery and finally in a couple of months' time if all went well they should be ready to make their real bid for fortune at nantes it was quite true that distinction was usually demanded of the companies appearing at the Fais-Doux. but on the other hand nantes had not seen a troupe of improvisers for a generation and longer they would be supplying a novelty "'to which all Nantes should flock, "'provided that the work were really well done, "'and Scaramouche undertook, pledged himself, "'that if matters were left in his own hands, "'his projected revival of the Commedia dell'Art, "'in all its glories, "'would exceed whatever expectations "'the public of Nantes might bring to the theatre. "'We'll talk of Paris after Nantes,' he finished, "'supremely matter-of-fact.' "'just as we will definitely decide on Nantes after Rudin.' "'The persuasiveness that could sway a mob "'ended by sweeping Monsieur Binet off his feet. "'The prospect which Scaramouche unfolded, "'if terrifying, was also intoxicating, "'and as Scaramouche delivered a crushing answer "'to each weakening objection, "'in a measure as it was advanced, "'Binet ended by promising to think the matter over. "'Rudin will point the way.' "'said André-Louis, "'and I don't doubt which way Rodin will point. "'Thus the great adventure of Rodin "'dwindled to insignificance. "'Instead of a terrifying undertaking in itself, "'it became merely a rehearsal for something greater. "'In his momentary exultation, "'Binet proposed another bottle of Volnay. "'Scaramouche waited until the cork was drawn "'before he continued. "'The thing remains possible,' said he then, holding his glass to the light, and speaking casually. "'As long as I am with you.' "'Agreed, my dear Scaramouche, agreed. Our chance-meeting was a fortunate thing for both of us.' "'For both of us,' said Scaramouche, with stress. "'That is as I would have it, so that I do not think you will surrender me just yet to the police. As if I could think of such a thing!' My dear Scaramouche, you amuse yourself. I beg that you will never, never allude to that little joke of mine again. It is forgotten, said André Louis. And now for the remainder of my proposal. If I am to become the architect of your fortunes, if I am to build them as I have planned them, I must also, and in the same degree, become the architect of my own. In the same degree? Monsieur Binet frowned. In the same degree. From today, if you please, we will conduct the affairs of this company in a proper manner, and we will keep account books. I am an artist, said Monsieur Binet with pride. I am not a merchant. There is a business side to your art, and that shall be conducted in the business manner. I have thought it all out for you. "'you shall not be troubled with details "'that might hinder the due exercise of your art. "'All that you have to do is to say yes or no to my proposal. "'Ah, and the proposal is that you constitute me your partner "'with an equal share in the profits of your company.' "'Pantaloon's great countenance grew pale. "'His little eyes widened to their fullest extent "'as he conned the face of his companion.' Then he exploded. "'You are mad, of course, to make me a proposal so monstrous!' "'It has its injustices, I admit, but I have provided for them. It would not, for instance, be fair that in addition to all that I am proposing to do for you, I should also play Scaramouche and write your scenarios without any reward outside of the half-profit which would come to me as a partner.' Thus, before the profits come to be divided, there is a salary to be paid me as an actor, and a small sum for each scenario with which I provide the company. That is a matter for mutual agreement. Similarly, you shall be paid a salary as pantaloon. After these expenses are cleared up, as well as all the other salaries and disbursements, the residue is the profit to be divided equally between us.' It was not, as you can imagine, a proposal that Monsieur Binet would swallow at a draught. He began with a point-blank refusal to consider it. "'In that case, my friend,' said Scaramouche, "'we part company at once. Tomorrow I shall bid you a reluctant farewell.' Binet fell to raging. He spoke of ingratitude in feeling terms. He even permitted himself another sly allusion— "'to that little jest of his concerning the police, "'which he had promised never again to mention. "'As to that you may do as you please. "'Play the informer, by all means. "'But consider that you will just as definitely be deprived of my services, "'and that without me you are nothing, "'as you were before I joined your company.' "'Monsieur Binet did not care what the consequences might be. "'A fig for the consequences! "'He would teach this impudent young country attorney "'that Monsieur Binet was not the man to be imposed upon!' "'Scaramouche rose. "'Very well,' said he, "'between indifference and resignation. "'As you wish. "'But before you act, sleep on the matter. "'In the cold light of morning "'you may see our two proposals in their proper proportions.' "'Mine spells fortune for both of us. "'Yours spells ruin for both of us. "'Good-night, Monsieur Binet. "'Heaven help you to a wise decision.' "'The decision to which Monsieur Binet finally came "'was, naturally, the only one possible, "'in the face of so firm a resolve "'as that of André Louis, who held the trumps. "'Of course there were further discussions, "'before all was settled,' And Monsieur Binet was brought to an agreement only after an infinity of haggling, surprising in one who was an artist and not a man of business. One or two concessions were made by Andre Louis. He consented, for instance, to waive his claim to be paid for scenarios, and he also consented that Monsieur Binet should appoint himself a salary that was out of all proportion to his deserts. Thus, in the end, the matter was settled and the announcement duly made to the assembled company. There were, of course, jealousies and resentments, but these were not deep-seated, and they were readily swallowed when it was discovered that under the new arrangement the lot of the entire company was to be materially improved from the point of view of salaries. This was a matter that had met with considerable opposition from Monsieur Binet, but the irresistible Scaramouche swept away all objections. If we are to play at the faydou you want a company of self-respecting comedians, and not a pack of cringing starvelings, the better we pay them in reason, the more they will earn for us. Thus was conquered the company's resentment of this too swift promotion of its latest recruit. Cheerfully now, with one exception, they accepted the dominance of Scaramouche, a dominance soon to be so firmly established "'that Monsieur Binet himself came under it. "'The one exception was Climaine. "'Her failure to bring to heel this interesting young stranger, "'who had almost literally dropped into their midst that morning outside Guichard, "'had begotten in her a malice which his persistent ignoring of her "'had been steadily inflaming. "'She had remonstrated with her father when the new partnership was first formed, She had lost her temper with him, and called him a fool, whereupon Monsieur Binet, in Pantaloon's best manner, had lost his temper in his turn and boxed her ears. She piled it up to the account of Scaramouche, and spied her opportunity to pay off some of that ever-increasing score. But opportunities were few. Scaramouche was too occupied just then. During the week of preparation at Fougeray, he was hardly seen save at the performances, whilst, when once they were at Roudon, he came and went like the wind between the theatre and the inn. The Roudon experiment had justified itself from the first. Stimulated and encouraged by this, André-Louis worked day and night during the month that they spent in that busy little town. The moment had been well chosen, for the trade in chestnuts, of which Roudon was the centre, was just then at its height and every afternoon the little theatre was packed with spectators. The fame of the troupe had gone forth, borne by the chestnut growers of the district, who were bringing their wares to Roudon Market, and the audiences were made up of people from the surrounding country and from neighbouring villages as far out as Alaire, saint Pirailleux, and Saint-Nicolas. To keep the business from slackening, André-Louis prepared a new scenario every week. He wrote three in addition to those two, with which he had already supplied the company. These were The Marriage of Pantaloon, The Shy Lover, and The Terrible Captain. Of these the last was the greatest success. It was based upon the Milis Gloriosus of Plautus, with great opportunities for Rodemont, and a good part for Scaramouche as the Roaring Captain's sly lieutenant. Its success was largely due to the fact that André-Louis amplified the scenario to the extent of indicating very fully in places the lines which the dialogue should follow, whilst here and there he had gone so far as to supply some of the actual dialogue to be spoken, without, however, making it obligatory upon the actors to keep to the letter of it. And meanwhile, as the business prospered, he became busy with tailors, improving the wardrobe of the company, which was sorely in need of improvement. He ran to earth a couple of needy artists, lured them into the company to play small parts, apothecaries and notaries, and set them to beguile their leisure in painting new scenery, so as to be ready for what he called the Conquest of Nantes, which was to come in the new year. Never in his life had he worked so hard. Never in his life had he worked at all by comparison with his activities now. His fund of energy and enthusiasm was inexhaustible, like that of his good humour. He came and went, acted, wrote, conceived, directed, planned, and executed. What time M. Binet took his ease at last in comparative affluence, drank burgundy every night, ate white bread and other delicacies, and began to congratulate himself upon his astuteness in having made this industrious, tireless fellow his partner. Having discovered how idle had been his fears of performing at Redan, He had now began to dismiss the terrors with which the notion of Nantes had haunted him. And his happiness was reflected throughout the ranks of his company, with the single exception always of Climène. She had ceased to sneer at Scaramouche, having realized at last that her sneers left him untouched and recoiled upon herself. Thus her almost indefinable resentment of him was increased by being stifled until at all costs an outlet for it must be found. One day she threw herself in his way as he was leaving the theatre after the performance. The others had already gone, and she had returned upon pretense of having forgotten something. Will you tell me what I have done to you? She asked him, point-blank. Done to me, mademoiselle? He did not understand. She made a gesture of impatience. Why do you hate me? "'Hate you, mademoiselle. "'I do not hate anybody. "'It is the most stupid of all the emotions. "'I have never hated, not even my enemies. "'What Christian resignation! "'As for hating you, of all people, "'why, I consider you adorable. "'I envy Leandre every day of my life. "'I have seriously thought of setting him to play Scaramouche "'and playing lovers myself. "'I don't think he would be a success.' "'said she. "'That is the only consideration that restrains me. "'And yet, given the inspiration that is given Leandre, "'it is possible that I might be convincing. "'By what inspiration do you mean? "'The inspiration of playing to so adorable a Clemen?' "'Her lazy eyes were now alert to search that lean face of his. "'You are laughing at me,' said she and swept past him into the theatre on her pretended quest. There was nothing to be done with such a fellow. He was utterly without feeling. He was not a man at all. Yet when she came forth again at the end of some five minutes, she found him still lingering at the door. "'Not gone yet?' she asked him, superciliously. "'I was waiting for you, mademoiselle. "'You will be walking to the inn, if I might escort you.' But what gallantry, what condescension? Perhaps you would prefer that I do not? How could I prefer that, Monsieur Scaramouche? Besides, we are both going the same way, and the streets are common to all. It is that I am overwhelmed by the unusual honour. He looked into a piquant little face, and noted how obscured it was by its cloud of dignity. He laughed. Perhaps I feared that the honour was not sought. "'And now I understand,' she cried. "'It is for me to seek these honours. "'I am to woo a man before he will pay me the homage of civility. "'It must be so, since you, who clearly know everything, have said so. "'It remains for me to beg your pardon for my ignorance.' "'It amuses you to be cruel,' said Scaramouche. "'No matter.' Shall we walk? They set out together, Stepping briskly to warm their blood Against the wintry evening air. A while they went in silence, Yet each furtively observing the other. And so you find me cruel? She challenged him at length, Thereby betraying the fact That the accusation had struck home. He looked at her with a half-smile. Will you deny it? "'You are the first man that ever accused me of that. "'I dare not suppose myself the first man to whom you have been cruel. "'That were an assumption too flattering to myself. "'I must prefer to think that the others suffered in silence. Mon you, have you suffered?' "'She was between seriousness and raillery. "'I placed the confession as an offering on the altar of your vanity. "'I should never have suspected it. "'Now could you?' "'Am I not what your father calls a natural actor? "'I was an actor long before I became Scaramouche. "'Therefore I have laughed. "'I often do when I am hurt. "'When you were pleased to be disdainful, "'I acted disdain in my turn.' "'You acted very well,' said she, without reflecting. "'Of course. "'I am an excellent actor. "'And why this sudden change? "'In response to the change in you?' You have grown weary of your part of cruel madam, a dull part, believe me, and unworthy of your talents. Were I a woman, and had I your loveliness and your grace, I should disdain to use them as weapons of offence. Loveliness and grace, she echoed, feigning amused surprise. But the vain baggage was mollified. When was it that you discovered this beauty and this grace, Monsieur Scaramouche? He looked at her a moment, considering the sprightly beauty of her, the adorable femininity that from the first had so irresistibly attracted him. One morning, when I beheld you rehearsing a love-scene with Leandra, he caught the surprise that leapt to her eyes before she veiled them under drooping lids from his too-questing gaze. Why, that was the first time you saw me. I had no earlier occasion.' "'to remark your charms. "'You ask me to believe too much,' said she, "'but her tone was softer than he had ever known it yet. "'Then you'll refuse to believe me if I confess "'that it was this grace and beauty "'that determined my destiny that day "'by urging me to join your father's troop.' "'At that she became a little out of breath. "'There was no longer any question "'of finding an outlet for resentment.' Resentment was all forgotten. But why? With what object? With the object of asking you one day to be my wife. She halted under the shock of that, and swung round to face him. Her glance met his own without shyness now. There was a hardening glitter in her eyes, a faint stir of colour in her cheeks. She suspected him of an unpardonable mockery. "'You go very fast, don't you?' she asked him with heat. "'I do. Haven't you observed it? I am a man of sudden impulses. "'See what I have made of the Binet troupe in less than a couple of months? "'Another might have laboured for a year and not achieved the half of it. "'Shall I be slower in love than in work? Will it be reasonable to expect it? "'I have curbed and repressed myself, not to scare you by precipitancy.' in that I have done violence to my feelings, and more than all in using the same cold aloofness with which you chose to treat me. I have waited, oh, so patiently, until you should tire of that mood of cruelty. You are an amazing man, said she quite colourlessly. I am, he agreed with her. It is only the conviction that I am not commonplace that has permitted me to hope— as I have hoped. Mechanically, and as if by tacit consent, they resumed their walk. And I ask you to observe, he said, when you complain that I go very fast, that, after all, I have so far asked you for nothing. How? quoth she, frowning. I have merely told you of my hopes. I am not so rash as to ask at once whether I may realise them, My faith, but that is prudent, said she tartly. Of course. It was his self-possession that exasperated her. For after that she walked the short remainder of the way in silence, and so for the moment the matter was left just there. But that night, after they had supped, and chanced that when Clemen was about to retire, he and she were alone together in the room above stairs that her father kept exclusively for his company, The Binet troupe, you see, was rising in the world. As Kleeman now rose to withdraw for the night, Scaramouche rose with her to light her candle. Holding it in her left hand, she offered him her right, a long, tapering white hand, at the end of a softly rounded arm that was bare to the elbow. Good night, Scaramouche, she said. But so softly, so tenderly, That he caught his breath, and stood conning her, his dark eyes aglow. Thus a moment. Then he took the tips of her fingers in his grasp, and bowing over the hand, pressed his lips upon it. Then he looked at her again. The intense femininity of her lured him on, invited him, surrendered to him. Her face was pale. There was a glitter in her eyes. A curious smile upon her parted lips, and under its fichu menteur her bosom rose and fell to complete the betrayal of her. By the hand he continued to hold, he drew her towards him. She came unresisting. He took the candle from her and set it down on the sideboard by which she stood. The next moment her slight, lithe body was in his arms, and he was kissing her, murmuring her name as if it were a prayer. "'Am I cruel now?' she asked him, panting. "'He kissed her again for only answer. "'You made me cruel because you would not see,' she told him next in a whisper. "'And then the door opened, and Monsieur Binet came in to have his paternal eyes regaled "'by this highly indecorous behaviour of his daughter. "'He stood at gaze, whilst they, quite leisurely, "'and in a self-possession too complete to be natural,' "'detached each from the other. "'And what may be the meaning of this?' "'demanded Monsieur Benet, "'bewildered and profoundly shocked. "'Does it require explaining?' "'asked Scaramouche. "'Doesn't it speak for itself, eloquently? "'It means that Clemen and I "'have taken it into our heads to be married. "'And doesn't it matter what I may take into my head?' "'Of course.' But you could have neither the bad taste nor the bad heart to offer any obstacle. You take that for granted! Aye, that is your way, to be sure, to take things for granted. But my daughter is not to be taken for granted. I have very definite views for my daughter. You have done an unworthy thing, Scaramouche. You have betrayed my trust in you. I am very angry with you.' He rolled forward with his ponderous yet curiously noiseless gait. Scaramouche turned to her, smiling, and handed her the candle. "'If you will leave us, Climène, I will ask your hand of your father in proper form.' She vanished, a little fluttered, lovelier than ever, in a mixture of confusion and timidity. Scaramouche closed the door and faced the enraged Monsieur Binet who had flung himself into an armchair at the head of the short table, faced him with the avowed purpose of asking for Clemence's hand in proper form. And this was how he did it. "'Father-in-law,' said he, "'I congratulate you. This will certainly mean the Comédie Française for Clemence, and that before long you shall shine in the glory she will reflect. As the father of Madame Scaramouche, you may yet be famous.' Binet, his face slowly empurpling, glared at him in speechless stupefaction. His rage was the more utter from his humiliating conviction that whatever he might say or do, this irresistible fellow would bend him to his will. At last speech came to him. "'You're a damned corsair!' he cried, thickly, banging his ham-like fist upon the table. "'A corsair!' First, you sail in and plunder me of half my legitimate gains, "'and now you want to carry off my daughter. "'But I'll be damned if I'll give her to a graceless, "'nameless scoundrel like you, "'for whom the gallows are waiting already!' "'Scaramouche pulled the bell-rope, not at all discomposed. "'He smiled. "'There was a flush on his cheeks and a gleam in his eyes. "'He was very pleased with the world that night.' He really owed a great debt to Monsieur Lédiguerre. Binet, said he, forget for once that you are pantaloon, and behave as a nice, amiable father-in-law should behave when he has secured a son-in-law of exceptionable merits. We are going to have a bottle of Burgundy at my expense, and it shall be the best bottle of Burgundy to be found at Rudon. Compose yourself to do fitting honour to it. Excitations of the bile invariably impair the fine sensitiveness of the palate. Chapter 7 The Conquest of Nantes. The Binet troupe opened in Nantes, as you may discover in surviving copies of the Courrier Nantais, on the Feast of the Purification, with les de scaramouche, But they did not come to Nantes, as hitherto they had gone to little country villages and townships, unheralded, and depending entirely upon the parade of their entrance to attract attention to themselves. André Louis had borrowed from the business methods of the Comédie Française. Carrying matters with a high hand entirely in his own fashion, he had ordered at Redon the printing of playbills, and four days before the company's descent upon Nantes, these bills were pasted outside the Théâtre Féidoux and elsewhere about the town, and had attracted, being still sufficiently unusual announcements at the time, considerable attention. He had entrusted the matter to one of the company's latest recruits, an intelligent young man named Basque, sending him on ahead of the company for the purpose. You may see for yourself one of these playbills in the Carnavalet Museum. It details the players by their stage names only, with the exception of Monsieur Binet and his daughter, and leaving out of account that he who plays Trivolin in one piece appears as Tabarin in another. It makes the company appear to be at least half as numerous again as it really was. It announces that they will open with La Fourbarie de Scaramouche to be followed by five other plays, of which it gives the titles, and by others not named, which shall also be added, should the patronage to be received in the distinguished and enlightened city of Nantes encourage the Binet troupe to prolong its sojourn at the Théâtre Féidoux. It lays great stress upon the fact that this is a company of improvisers in the old Italian manner, the like of which has not been seen in France for half a century and it exhorts the public of Nantes not to miss this opportunity of witnessing these distinguished mimes who are reviving for them the glories of the Comédie de l'Art. Their visit to Nantes, the announcement proceeds, is preliminary to their visit to Paris, where they intend to throw down the glove to the actors of the Comédie Française, and to show the world how superior is the art of the improviser to that of the actor who depends upon an author for what he shall say, and who consequently says always the same thing every time that he plays in the same piece. It is an audacious bill, and its audacity had scared Monsieur Binet out of the little sense left him by the Burgundy, which in these days he could afford to abuse. He had offered the most vehement opposition. Part of this André-Louis had swept aside, part he had disregarded. "'I admit that it is audacious,' said Scaramouche. "'But at your time of life you should have learnt "'that in this world nothing succeeds like audacity.' "'I forbid it. I absolutely forbid it,' Monsieur Binet insisted. "'I knew you would, just as I know "'that you'll be very grateful to me presently "'for not obeying you.' "'You are inviting a catastrophe.' "'I am inviting fortune. "'The worst catastrophe that can overtake you—' Is to be back in the market halls of the country villages from which I rescued you. I'll have you in Paris yet, in spite of yourself. Leave this to me. And he went out to attend to the printing. Nor did his preparations end there. He wrote a piquant article on the glories of the Comedie de l'Art and its resurrection by the improvising troupe of the great mime Florimond Binet. Binet's name was not Florimond; it was just Pierre. But André-Louis had a great sense of the theatre. That article was an amplification of the stimulating matter contained in the playbills, and he persuaded Basque, who had relations in Nantes, to use all the influence he could command, and all the bribery they could afford, to get that article printed in the Courrier Nantes, a couple of days before the arrival of the Binet troupe. Basque had succeeded and considering the undoubted literary merits and intrinsic interest of the article, this is not at all surprising. And so it was upon an already expectant city that Binet and his company descended in that first week of February. Monsieur Binet would have made his entrance in the usual manner, a full-dress parade, with banging drums and crashing cymbals, but to this André-Louis offered the most relentless opposition— "'We should but discover our poverty,' said he. "'Instead we will creep into the city unobserved "'and leave ourselves to the imagination of the public.' "'He had his way, of course. Monsieur Binet, worn already with battling against the strong waters "'of this young man's will, "'was altogether unequal to the contest "'now that he found Climène in alliance with Scaramouche, "'adding her insistence to his.' and joining with him in reprobation of her father's sluggish and reactionary wits. Metaphorically, Monsieur Binet threw up his arms, and cursing the day on which he had taken this young man into his troop, he allowed the current to carry him whither it would. He was persuaded that he would be drowned in the end. Meanwhile, he would drown his vexation in Burgundy. At least there was abundance of Burgundy. Never in his life had he found Burgundy so plentiful.' Perhaps things were not as bad as he imagined after all. He reflected that, when all was said, he had to thank Scaramouche for the Burgundy. Whilst fearing the worst, he would hope for the best. And it was very much the worst that he feared as he waited in the wings when the curtain rose on that first performance of theirs at the Théâtre Fé-Doux to a house that was tolerably filled by a public whose curiosity the preliminary announcements had thoroughly stimulated. Although the scenario of Les Fauberies de Scaramouche has not apparently survived, yet we know from André-Louis' Confessions that it is opened by Polichinelle in the character of an arrogant and fiercely jealous lover, shown in the act of beguiling the waiting-maid, Columbine, to play the spy upon her mistress, Climaine. Beginning with cajolery, but failing in this with the saucy Columbine, who likes cajolers to be at least attractive, and to pay a due deference to her own very piquant charms, the fierce hump-backed scoundrel passes on to threats of the terrible vengeance he will wreak upon her if she betrays him or neglects to obey him implicitly. Failing here, likewise, he finally has recourse to bribery, and after he has bled himself freely to the very expectant columbine, he succeeds by these means in obtaining her consent to spy upon Clemen, and to report to him upon her lady's conduct. The pair played the scene well together, stimulated, perhaps, by their very nervousness at finding themselves before so imposing an audience. Polychanel was everything that is fierce, contemptuous, and insistent. Columbine was the essence of pert indifference under his cajolery, saucily mocking under his threats and finally sly in extorting the very maximum when it came to accepting a bribe. Laughter rippled through the audience and promised well, but Monsieur Binet, standing trembling in the wings, missed the great guffaws of the rustic spectators to whom they had played hitherto, and his fears steadily mounted. Then, scarcely has Polychanel departed by the door than Scaramouche bounds in through the window. It was an effective entrance, usually performed in a broad comic effect that set the people in a roar. Not so on this occasion. Meditating in bed that morning, Scaramouche decided to present himself in a totally different aspect. He would cut out all the broad play, all the usual clowning which had delighted their past rude audiences, and he would obtain his effects by subtlety instead. He would present a slyly humorous rogue, restrained, and of a certain dignity, wearing the countenance of complete solemnity, speaking his lines dryly, as if unconscious of the humour with which he intended to invest them. Thus, though it might take the audience longer to understand and discover him, they would like him all the better in the end. True to that resolve, he now played his part as the friend and hired ally of the lovesick Leandre, on whose behalf he came for news of Clemen seizing the opportunity to further his own amour with Columbine and his designs upon the money-bags of Pantaloon, Also, he had taken certain liberties with the traditional costume of Scaramouche. He had caused the black doublet and breeches to be slashed with red, and the doublet to be cut more to a peak, à la Henri III. The conventional black velvet cap he had replaced by a conical hat, with a turned-up brim, and a tuft of feathers on the left, and he had discarded the guitar. Monsieur Binet listened desperately for the roar of laughter that usually greeted the entrance of Scaramouche, and his dismay increased when it did not come. And then he became conscious of something alarmingly unusual in Scaramouche's manner. The sibilant foreign accent was there, but none of the broad boisterousness their audiences had loved. He wrung his hands in despair, "'It is all over,' he said. "'The fellow has ruined us. "'It serves me right for being a fool "'and allowing him to take control of everything.' "'But he was profoundly mistaken. "'He began to have an inkling of this "'when presently himself he took the stage, and found the public attentive, "'remarked a grin of quiet appreciation "'on every upturned face. "'It was not, however, until the thunders of applause "'greeted the fall of the curtain on the first act,' "'that he felt quite sure "'they would be allowed to escape with their lives. "'Had the part of Pantaloon in Les Fourberies "'been other than that of a blundering, timid old idiot, Binet would have ruined it by his apprehensions. "'As it was, those very apprehensions, "'magnifying as they did the hesitancy and bewilderment "'that were the essence of his part, "'contributed to the success. "'And a success it proved.' that more than justified all the heralding of which Scaramouche had been guilty. For Scaramouche himself, this success was not confined to the public. At the end of the play a great reception awaited him from his companions assembled in the green room of the theatre. His talent, resource, and energy had raised them in a few weeks from a pack of vagrant mountebanks to a self-respecting company of first-rate players. They acknowledged it generously in a speech entrusted to Polichinelle, adding the tribute to his genius that, as they had conquered Nantes, so would they conquer the world under his guidance. In their enthusiasm they were a little neglectful of the feelings of Monsieur Binet. Irritated enough had he been already by the overriding of his every wish, by the consciousness of his weakness when opposed to Scaramouche. And although he had suffered the gradual process of usurpation of authority, because its every step had been attended by his own greater profit, deep down in him the resentment abode, to stifle every spark of that gratitude due from him to his partner. Tonight his nerves had been on the rack, and he had suffered agonies of apprehension, for all of which he blamed Scaramouche so bitterly that not even the ultimate success— almost miraculous when all the elements are considered, could justify his partner in his eyes. And now to find himself in addition ignored by this company, his own company, which he had so laboriously and slowly assembled and selected among the men of ability whom he had found here and there in the dregs of cities, was something that stirred his bile and aroused the malevolence that never did more than slumber in him but deeply though his rage was moved, it did not blind him to the folly of betraying it. Yet that he should assert himself in this hour was imperative, unless he were forever to become a thing of no account in this troop, over which he had lorded it for long months, before this interloper came amongst them to fill his purse and destroy his authority. So he stepped forward now when Polichinelle had done— his make-up assisting him to mask his bitter feelings, he professed to add his own to Polichinelle's acclamations of his dear partner. But he did it in such a manner as to make it clear that what Scaramouche had done, he had done by Monsieur Binet's favour, and that in all Monsieur Binet's had been the guiding hand. In associating himself with Polichinelle, he desired to thank Scaramouche, much in the manner of a lord rendering thanks to his steward for services diligently rendered, and orders scrupulously carried out. It neither deceived the troop nor mollified himself. Indeed, his consciousness of the mockery of it but increased his bitterness. But at least it saved his face and rescued him from nullity, he who was their chief. To say, as I have said, that it did not deceive them is perhaps to say too much, for it deceived them at least on the score of his feelings. They believed, after discounting the insinuations in which he took all credit to himself, that at heart he was filled with gratitude as they were. That belief was shared by André-Louis himself, who, in his brief, grateful answer, was very generous to Monsieur Binet, more than endorsing the claims that Monsieur Binet had made. And then followed from him the announcement that their success in Nantes was the sweeter to him, because it rendered almost immediately attainable the dearest wish of his heart, which was to make Climène his wife. It was a felicity of which he was the first to acknowledge his utter unworthiness. It was to bring him into still closer relations with his good friend Monsieur Binet, to whom he owed all that he had achieved for himself and for them. The announcement was joyously received, for the world of the theatre loves a lover as dearly as does the greater world. So they acclaimed the happy pair, with the exception of Paul Leandre, whose eyes were more melancholy than ever. They were a happy family that night in the upstairs room of their inn on the Quai La Fosse, the same inn from which André-Louis had set out some weeks ago to play a vastly different role before an audience of Nantes. Yet was it so different, he wondered, Had he not then been a sort of scaramouche, an intriguer, glib and specious, deceiving folk, cynically misleading them with opinions that were not really his own? Was it at all surprising that he should have made so rapid and signal a success as a mime? Was not this really all that he had ever been, the thing for which nature had designed him? On the following night they played the shy lover to a full house— the fame of their debut having gone abroad, and the success of Monday was confirmed. On Wednesday they gave Figaro Scaramouche, and on Thursday morning the Courier Nanté came out with an article of more than a column of praise to these brilliant improvisers, for whom it claimed that they utterly put to shame the mere reciters of memorized parts. André Louis, reading the sheet at breakfast, and having no delusions on the score of the falseness of that statement, laughed inwardly. The novelty of the thing, and the pretentiousness in which he had swaddled it, had deceived them finely. He turned to greet Binet and Climène, who entered at that moment. He waved the sheet above his head. "'It is settled,' he announced. "'We stay in Nantes until Easter.' "'Do we?' said Binet sourly. "'You settle everything, my friend.' "'Read for yourself,' and he handed him the paper. Moodily, Monsieur Binet read. He set the sheet down in silence and turned his attention to his breakfast. "'Was I justified or not?' quoth André Louis, who found Monsieur Binet's behaviour a thought intriguing. "'In what?' "'In coming to Nantes. "'If I had not thought so, we should not have come,' said Binet, and he began to eat." André-Louis dropped the subject, wondering. After breakfast, he and Climaine sallied forth to take the air upon the quays. It was a day of brilliant sunshine, and less cold than it had lately been. Columbine tactlessly joined them as they were setting out, though in this respect matters were improved a little when Harlequin came running after them, and attached himself to Columbine. André-Louis, stepping out ahead with Climaine, spoke of the thing that was uppermost in his mind at the moment. "'Your father is behaving very oddly towards me,' he said. "'It is almost as if he had suddenly become hostile.' "'You imagine it,' said she. "'My father is very grateful to you, as we all are. "'He is anything but grateful. "'He is infuriated against me, and I think I know the reason. "'Don't you? Can't you guess?' "'I can't, indeed. "'If you were my daughter, Clemen,' which God be thanked you are not, I should feel aggrieved against the man who carried you away from me. Poor old pantaloon. He called me a corsair when I told him that I intend to marry you. He was right. You are a bold robber, Scaramouche. It is in the character, said he. Your father believes in having his mimes play upon the stage the parts that suit their natural temperaments. Yes, you take everything you want, don't you? She looked up at him, half adoringly, half shyly. If it is possible, said he, I took his consent to our marriage by main force from him. I never waited for him to give it, when in fact he refused it. I just snatched it from him, and I'll defy him now to win it back from me. I think that is what he most resents. She laughed, and launched upon an animated answer, but he did not hear a word of it, Through the bustle of traffic on the quay, a cabriolet, the upper half of which was almost entirely made of glass, had approached them. It was drawn by two magnificent bay horses and driven by a superbly livened coachman. In the cabriolet alone sat a slight young girl, wrapped in a lynx-fur pelisse, a lace of a delicate loveliness. She was leaning forward, her lips parted, her eyes devouring Scaramouche until they drew his gaze. When that happened, the shock of it brought him abruptly to a dumbfounded halt. Climaine, checking in the middle of a sentence, arrested by his own sudden stopping, plucked at his sleeve. What is it, Scaramouche? But he made no attempt to answer her, and at that moment the coachman, to whom the little lady had already signalled, brought the carriage to a standstill beside them. Seen in the gorgeous setting of that coach with its escutcheoned panels, its portly coachman, and its white-stockinged footman, who swung instantly to earth as the vehicle stopped, its dainty occupant seemed to Clemen a princess out of a fairy tale. And this princess leaned forward, with eyes aglow and cheeks aflush, stretching out a choicely gloved hand to Scaramouche. André-Louis, she called him, and Scaramouche took the hand of that exalted being, just as he might have taken the hand of Climen herself, and with eyes that reflected the gladness of her own, in a voice that echoed the joyous surprise of hers, he addressed her familiarly by name, just as she had addressed him. Aline. This is B.J. Harrison. I hope you've enjoyed this unabridged production of Scaramouche, Part 5 of 12, by Raphael Sabatini. If you've enjoyed this book, feel free to download some of our free audiobooks at classictalesaudiobooks.com. You'll find a variety of longer titles available for free during the pandemic. If you know anyone who could benefit from some smart entertainment please let them know about our free stuff. They're welcome to it. Thank you for joining me today and allowing classic literature to awaken your better self. Please join me every week and we'll rediscover the greatest stories ever put to paper.